For quite a few years now, there's been a growing trend of renaming the second Monday in October, also tomorrow, of naming it Indigenous Peoples Day instead of Columbus Day. This change shifts our focus from celebrating and marking the beginning of European colonization on this continent to honoring the indigenous people and history and culture that were here before and that continue to this day. So on this Sunday before Indigenous Peoples Day, it's significant to remember that more than five centuries ago in 1492, when European invaders had first contact, there were an estimated 112 million indigenous people on this continent. 150 years later in 1650, European colonizers had decimated the indigenous population from 112 million to fewer than 6 million. Today, there are remain more than 573 federally recognized indigenous tribal nations in the mainland US, but that also accounts now for only one half of 1% of our total population here in the US. So as we hold in our hearts, the, the hard truths that colonization has wrought on this land, it's important to acknowledge as well that our beautiful UCF land and building that we very much um, look forward to getting back to, that those are on the traditional land of the, the Piscataway tribe. Uh, let me share my screen with you to say just a little more about that. So here is um, a slide uh, about land acknowledgement. So this is a photo of the overlapping, overlapping indigenous tribal territory, territories that gives you a little bit of a visual sense of the vast interconnected peoples and languages and cultures that originally thrived on this land long before Europeans arrived. And if you wanna explore this map, it's fun. You can put in different zip codes and you know, zoom in and uh, learn a little more and then click on them and you know, go through to tribal websites. Uh, it's on the right-hand side. If you can see it, it's native-land.ca, native-land.ca. Along these lines, let me show you one more photo that's really sat with me a lot over the past few years. This photo was taken a little more than a century ago in 1905. It's a mountain that the Lakota Sioux call the Six Grandfathers. It's part of the Black Hills, which is sacred ground to the Lakota Sioux. In 1868, the US government signed a treaty promising the Black Hills and the surrounding territory to the Sioux. But when gold was discovered in them their hills. This treaty was betrayed as so many were. That resulted in the 1890 Wounded Knee Massacre. I'll tell that story more fully in a future sermon, but for now I want to keep our focus on this particular peak that you're looking at. In 1930, the U.S. government renamed the Six Grandfathers as Mount Rushmore. But that's not all. They proceeded to carve the heads of four U.S. presidents into this sacred mountain. Now, I'll confess that when I grew up and I first saw a picture of Mount Mushroar, I, I thought it was an impressive feat of modern sculpture carving. You know, I thought like, wow, I could never do that, envision like carving on that scale. But the more I've learned about history from an indigenous people's perspective, the more I've come to view this monument, impressive artistic feet or not, come view it as a sacrilege. And the more beautiful that original photo seems to me of this mountain, the six grandfathers before 
450,000 tons of granite were dynamited away from this sacred edifice. What a bald, naked symbol of white supremacy culture. The impulse to carve four giant white male faces into a mountain. As a spokesperson for the Lakota Sioux has said, we see the faces of men who lied, cheated, and murdered innocent people whose only crime was living on land that they wanted to steal. So that image of the original um, mountain as really sits with me when I, uh, every Indigenous Peoples Day. Again, Mount Rushmore is a, such a striking visual reminder of how colonization can cover over what came before. It is likewise worth knowing that um, Gutsan Borglum, the sculptor of Mount Rushmore, he was an avowed racist. He attended Klan rallies. He served on Klan committees. He tried to play peacemaker in several Klan leadership disputes. Uh, I think it's also noteworthy that the National Park Service makes no mention of Borglum's really well-known and public ties to the Ku Klux Klan in its biography of the sculptor that it sells. As you've heard me say before, the stories we tell, it matters. It matters which stories we tell, what we include, what we exclude. It matters who decides what stories are told and who benefits from the results. You know, there's that saying, nothing about us without us. And if you're not at the table, you're usually on the menu. Along these lines, I invite you to hear a poem on disappearance by Kimberly Blazer, um, an indigenous activist, environmentalist, and past Wisconsin poet laureate. As you hear her words, keep in mind that, that first slide we saw of, of all the multicolored, vast, interconnected, um, thriving tribal nations that were uh, active prior to the arrival of European invaders. Blazer writes, beginning with our continent, draw 14 91, each mountain, compass point, indigenous. Trace trade routes, languages, seasonal migrations. Don't become attached. Reshape by discovery, displacement. Move your pencil point quickly now as if pursued. A cavalry of possession that erases homelands. We shrink, shrink in time lapse of colonial barter disappear. Now draw a brown face painted for ceremony. Now half a face, nothing. Draw nothing around a crumpled bird body, no wings. Draw emptiness inside desecrated burial mounds, a stretch of absence where fallopian tubes once curved in hope. Sketch void across buffalo prairie, draw the empty of elk, of passenger pigeon, of silver trout. Conjure with your hand the shape of a girl blooming, curves of faces, her laughing eyes, you've seen them posted at amber alerted, missing, missing, evening mused and gone. Draw a woman wrapped in a blanket, a child's body weighted, draw stones sinking into every river on the map, draw carrion blackening skies, carrion plucking vision from round brown faces, draw missing, draw murdered. Work carefully now. Turn your hand to the new continent. Again, picture it. Nothing. So much has been lost. The 
words of Blazer's poem, along with that photo of the six grandfathers juxtaposed with Mount Rushmore, it reminds us of how much has been destroyed. At the same time, a growing number of places celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day instead of Columbus Day, that's one movement toward Indigenous justice that gives me hope. I'll give you one more quick example. On this Sunday before Indigenous Peoples Day, I can also report at long last that the Washington football team is changing its name from the racially um, derogative term Redskins. In 1944, the National Congress of American Indians explicitly included in its mission the elimination of negative stereotypes. That was almost eight decades ago. We've known better for a long time. But finally, under growing pressure from corporate sponsors threatening to withdraw multi-million dollar contracts, the announcement came that the Washington football team would be changing its name. Sometimes change happens slowly then all at once. Here's one more example. In July, the Supreme Court ruled five to four in favor of indigenous rights in the case of McGirt versus Oklahoma. Here's just one brief excerpt from the majority opinion. We hold the government to its word and the land Congress promised to the Creek Nation is still Indian land. If Congress wishes to withdraw its promises, it must say so. Notice this next part. Unlawful acts performed long enough and with sufficient vigor are never enough to amend the law. To hold otherwise would be to elevate the most brazen and long-standing injustices over the law, both rewarding wrong and failing those in the right. Now, this doesn't, as some people read it to be, give like two-thirds of Oklahoma into Indian territory. It's more complex than that. This actually applies to a narrow aspect of criminal law in part of Oklahoma. But it's an important precedent that could have future implications. In general, the Supreme Court's track record has been to rule against indigenous people's right uh, in the sort of court of the colonizer, if you will. Uh, but I encourage you... Uh, but it's heartening to see any sort of um, welcome change of upholding indigenous people's rights and holding the U.S. government to its word. Again, if you're interested in learning more about what it might look like to live in a world that supports indigenous people's rights and moves toward dismantling the legacy of colonialism, I encourage you to attend the Friendly Forum. It's going to start about 11.45 a.m. this morning, a few minutes after the end of the Sunday service. You just log out of here, go back to the homepage, find Friendly Forum, and go into that Zoom room. Uh, let me show you just a few, um, one more set of quick slides along those lines. So this is the book, um, Decolonizing Wealth, that, that Jen will be talking about. You could certainly also read it on, this is one particular lens on decolonization. He's going to walk you through, you know, authentically grieving authentically apologizing, not just, I'm sorry you got hurt, but like really kind of a truth and reconciliation process, really listening. Uh, and I love this part about listening that often that indigenous wisdom in this case has been covered over, the seed is there for healing and moving to a new right place, really entering into relationship, um, again, representing uh, it matters who's at the table and then really putting some money toward, in this case, funding what's been wrong. So Jen's gonna go much more into detail about all of that. 
But overall, it's about shifting us from, uh, you know, this is one way forward, one person's way forward, but it's one glimpse of what it could look like to shift our culture from division toward connection, from control to relationship, from exploitation toward belonging, a process that's sometimes called decolonization. So I invite you to take a deep breath. That's a lot to take in and let it go. So much is entrenched, but as um, President Frederick Gray said, another world is possible. I invite you to open your heart and mind to the possibilities of connection, of relationship and belonging that can bring us together. Open your heart and mind to that as we sing together, building a new way.